Vacation Bible School is coming up starting tomorrow. And uh, we've been planning it for a while. You'll see, I want you to see the logo there up on the screen. And uh, the logo tells us that our theme is One Family, One Race, One Savior. And uh, this year, Vacation Bible School is, I think, a great time for this message. Go ahead, Bill, if you would go ahead and throw that logo up there, the next slide, if you would. And there you go. You see, uh, kind of based on that TV show, the, the what's it called? Amazing Race. So it's kind of based on that a little bit, traveling all over the world. And uh, the topic, the issue, is race. And the topic of race and racism has, once again, in our current culture, raised its ugly head. And uh, it seems to be uh, fleshed out in several different areas around us. I want to take you back to a period of time, 243 years ago, this past Thursday, July the 4th of 1776, and to a, a document called the Declaration of Independence. And as a part of that document, we find these words. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. Would you say that phrase with me? All men are created equal. And we know that the intent of the writers of the Declaration of Independence included in there both men and women. We know that the founders, in looking forward, recognized the value and the worth of all humans, not just white, but also black and also Native American and every other shade uh, under the sun. All men are created equal. Aren't you thankful for that statement in that document? Because though we are far from a perfect nation, that one statement has guided and directed so much of who we are that make us the nation that we are today. The statement goes on to say, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal and that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. I'm thankful that our founding documents recognize a creator, a capital C creator, uh, who has given us these rights of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. This is the ideal of our founding. And we're far from meeting that ideal, aren't we? We have so far to go. But this foundation has, has laid a, a structure in place for us to move forward as a nation and understand this, that this statement from the Declaration of Independence as well as many of our founding documents are completely biblical and the Bible uh, forged and, 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 and crafted and molded so much of who we are as a nation. We were founded on the belief that all men are created equal. The Washington Post newspaper, June the 26th, just a couple of weeks ago, uh, ran a story that said, headlined this way, a mother reported a teen bully for racially taunting her son, then he beat her unconscious, attorney says. This happened in New Jersey. A 13-year-old black teenager beat up the mother of a Hispanic middle school student after the mother went to school to meet with the assistant principal to talk about the bullying on her son. Bullying is a common practice at all ages and all stages, and uh, oftentimes in different circumstances as well. Oftentimes, bullying is racially motivated, as in this case. In 1992, those of you that are old enough to remember, and a few of us in this room look like we are, uh, in 1992, there were the Los Angeles race riots that started with a video of white police officers beating a black man by the name of Rodney King. Out of those race riots uh, that lasted six days, 63 people were killed, 
2,373 people were injured, and afterwards, the victim of that, Rodney King, famously asked, can't we all just get along? Well, that was 1992, but in the year 2019, race continues to be a hot topic, and I could stand here for an hour listing situation after situation, but I don't have to do that. You're aware of that, right? Race is still an issue in our, uh, in our, our, our community today and in our uh, nation. Another name for race is the word people group. People group. Perhaps you've heard that before. In the Bible, people groups are often called nations. Groups are identified uh, as, as nations and as people groups. And uh, there's a ministry that is attempting to reach every single people group in the world. They're called the Joshua Project. And the Joshua Project says that people groups can be defined by various combinations of ethnicity, language, religion, caste, and geography. And the Joshua Project uh, recognizes that there are between 11,500 and 24,000 different people groups existing in the world today. Their goal is to take the gospel to each and every one of those. Well, this summer, I'm preaching a series of messages on King David, faith in the real world. And David certainly had issues he dealt with of, of dealing with people groups and nations and issues of race as well. Throughout his reign, David dealt with all of these as he ruled and expanded and defended the kingdom of Israel. I want you to notice a map here on the screen. And there you'll see right at the center is Jerusalem. And there in Jerusalem, it tells you from 1 Chronicles 18... It lists all the nations that David was at war with and defeated. I want to read for you from 1 Chronicles 18, uh, where it says this, verse 1. After this, David defeated the Philistines, verse 2. And he defeated Moab, verse 3. David also defeated Hadadezer, king of Zobah Hamath, verse 5. David struck down the Syrians, verse 6. And the Lord gave victory to David wherever he went. Verse 11, from Edom, Moab, the Ammonites, the Philistines, and Amalek. And verse 12, the Lord gave victory to David wherever he went. Now, I've given you three examples of race impacting culture uh, uh, this morning. One is racial bullying. Another is race riots. Another is war against other nations or people groups. And, and as we think about those things that span, the, the span history from the Bible days to the founding of our nation up until today, we need to recognize that in God's eyes, this is not the way it was supposed to be. This is not the way God intends for the nations or the people groups to get along. In fact, bullying and rioting and war only promotes racism. Racism is the belief of the superiority of one group over other groups. The issue of racism has at least two biblical issues uh, to deal with. Issue number one is uh, there's only one race. How can you have racism believing that one race is better than the other when there's only one race to start with? I want you to see a picture we're going to use in Vacation Bible School. I love that picture. 
and you really can't, doesn't do it justice there on the screen, but, but you'll notice it starts with the lighter skin all the way to the darker skin, all the way through the different shades of, of color. And notice what it says in the middle. There are different shades, not different colors. There are different groups, but there's the same race. We're all one race of people in God's eyes. There, you'll notice that, there are, uh, that we're the same on the inside, but slight differences on the outside concerning shade of our skin, eye shape, hair, language, cultural customs, and other uh, small trivial things on the outside, but on the inside, we're all the same. I want to ask you to uh, notice a second thing as well. The second issue is that each of us and all of us are called to know and walk with God through faith in Jesus Christ. Each of us and all of us are called to walk with God through faith in Jesus Christ. In fact, Bill, go back up to that previous slide with all those pictures. I want you to, to, as you see those pictures, those different shades of people, men and women, different expressions on their faces, different shapes of their eyes, different shades of their skin, different types of hair, all, every single one of them represent each of them millions of people that look mostly like them who are called by God to know and walk with Him through faith in Jesus Christ. That's who we are. That's what we're called to do. I want to ask you to walk with me quickly through the first 11 chapters of Genesis and what, uh, what, what some uh, folks call the sin cycle of rebellion and judgment and restoration with God. In Genesis 1.27, we have the creation account. And there in Genesis 1.27, it says, God created man in His own image. In the image of God, He created him, male and female, He created them. The creation account lists that God created one man and one woman, and from there, all of us have descended. I want you to notice in Genesis 3, there's rebellion, the first, the first evidence in, in, in existence of rebellion, where the man uh, and the woman disobeyed God by eating of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They disobeyed and rebelled against God. Notice also in Genesis 3, we have the first act of judgment, where there's now going to be pain in childbirth. Ladies, you can thank Adam and Eve for that. There's now going to be work for the land to receive food. There's now going to be an expulsion from the garden or being in that paradise that God had created for the man and the woman. There is judgment for rebellion. When we get to Genesis 6, we see that rebellion has broken out again. Genesis 6 and verse 5, The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Every intention was only evil continually. That was true in Genesis chapter 6 and verse number 5. Genesis 6 verse 11, Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence, verse 12, and God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. It, it's amazing, and it's sad, and it's tragic that every time God provides restoration, there's a sinful intent in the heart of mankind that turns away from following God. We see this, as we mentioned, in, verse, in chapter 6 of Genesis. And then in chapter 6, verse 13, of Genesis, we see yet the next form of judgment by God upon sin. That's the flood. God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. There's going to be a worldwide flood. After the flood, we have another time of renewal 
Genesis 9 and verse 1, God blessed Noah and his sons, and he said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Who knows what comes next? And fill the earth. Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Remember, God's command to the descendants of Noah is to go out and fill all the earth. Next, we have the next act of rebellion. Genesis 11, verses 1 to 4. Instead of spreading out and filling the earth as God commanded, they stayed put. And they said in verse 4, I believe it is, of Genesis 11, let us build a city and a tower and a name for ourselves. Let's stay together. Let's increase our power. Let's tell God we don't want to follow His commands. And let's build not the name of the Lord. Let's build a name for us. We don't need God. And then out of that rebellion came, again, God's judgment. The confusion of languages known as the Tower of Babel. That will be a central feature in our Vacation Bible School this week. That's part of what the, the design is behind me that our boys and girls are going to be looking at and learning about all week. Genesis 11 and verse number 8. Remember that in, in Genesis 9-1, he told them to be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. In chapter 11, verse 8, it says, The Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth, and they left off building the city. But when they said, let's stay together, tell God we don't need Him, and make a name for ourselves, God sent the confusion of languages, and they gathered together with people they could understand, and then they went off and filled the earth as God had commanded them there. And out of that, we have what the Bible calls, what we call in the Bible, the table of nations. Genesis chapter 10 tells us who went where and became what and how the different ethnicities and people groups and nations began to form all out of that event of rebellion there at Babel. Well, there's our background for the message this morning. I want to take the rest of the time and talk about two important truths that impact our view of race. Two important truths that impact our view of race. The first truth is this. God has a plan. Can I tell you that again? God has a plan. There are often times in life when our circumstance would make us question whether or not God has a plan. There are times in life when circumstances for us individually make us question that whether or not God has a plan. There are times we turn on the news and we see what's happening in New Jersey, or we see what's happening in L.A., or we see what's happening in Raleigh, we see what's happening in Durham, we see what's happening in China, and all over the world, and it makes us wonder, how in the world could God ever have a plan when things seem so chaotic as they did in Genesis chapter 6, when it says that every intention and thoughts of the heart was only evil continually. It seems like we're living in a Genesis 6 world in the year 2019. But I will tell you, God has a plan. Here's His plan. His plan is that His chosen people would take His name to the ends of the earth. God's plan is that His chosen people would take His name to the ends of the earth. Those that, 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 that determined they didn't need God at Babel. Those who were dispersed, not to follow the command of God, but because of the language barrier that God Himself had set up. That, that those people who had been dispersed out of their rebellion would somehow, someway, hear the wonderful message of restoration of broken relationships between people and God that is possible through faith in Jesus Christ. That's God's plan. Did it take place personally? Did it take place among people groups? that it take place among nations, that all people might know the one true God. That's His plan. 
This plan is related to us in the Old Testament. There are many places. I want to share just a couple of passages from Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 49 and verse 6 says this. God's speaking and he says, I will make you. The you there is Israel, his chosen people. God says, I will make you as a light for the nations, that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. Remember God's command in Genesis? He said, go and, and expand and fill the earth. Go out to the ends of the earth. And when they wouldn't do it, he sent the confusion of languages. And they went where? To the ends of the earth. And now God is saying to his people, I'm going to send you after all of those folks that dispersed. And by now they talk different. They look different. Their customs are different. Their cultures are different. And God says, I'm going to send you, my chosen people, to the end of the earth to be a light that they might know about my salvation. Isaiah 52 and verse 10 says, All the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. God's purpose and God's plan is to restore the broken relationship between people and Himself. Not just the Jewish people, not just the white people, not just the African people, not just the Asian people, but all people everywhere. This plan of God is related in the Old Testament. It's also reaffirmed in the New Testament. Listen to what Jesus said in John chapter 8, verse 12. You've heard this verse many times. Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light. He, he says, I am the light of what? Say it. The world. The world. What is the world? To the ends of the earth. Jesus says, I am the light of God, the light of salvation, to the ends of the earth, to the whole world. And then he says, whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Not only do the words of Jesus reaffirm this plan of God, but the New Testament church was given this plan as well. Acts chapter 1 and verse number 8. You perhaps know this as one of the great commissions in the New Testament. It says there, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the what? Say it with me. The end of the earth. That's where the message of the gospel is to go. Acts chapter 13 and verse 47. It says, the Lord has commanded a saying and a repetition of Isaiah 49. I have made you a light to the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of of the earth. And so God's plan was established in the beginning. God's plan was rebelled against by people. God's plan was judgment on those who rebelled. And God's plan is still to take the message of restoration and reconciliation all the way to the ends of the earth. Aren't you thankful for God's plan? Because it is God's plan and His relentless pursuit of His plan through His Spirit and His church that brought me to this place today, a place of faith. It is that plan of God that brought you to a place of faith. And it is that plan of God that compels us as a church to be mindful of race and culture and people group and nations and of all those around us who are still without a relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ. God has a plan. The problem is, we often get confused and think that we have a better plan. In Babel, they thought they had a better plan. And it didn't work out. I want you to notice, secondly, that God has a purpose. God has a plan that those who are broken in, in relationship to Him be restored. Now God has a purpose. Why is it that, that, that God does this? I want you to notice that His purpose is that each and every person find God and have a relationship with Him. There's no other purpose for His, his desire for us that we, but that we find Him and have a relationship with Him. 
There's nothing else that we are to be about. If we are Christians and followers of Christ, we are to have that relationship and grow in that relationship and serve in that relationship and minister in that relationship and worship the Lord out of that relationship and, and, and grow in our discipleship because of that relationship. And as Al mentioned a minute ago, as part of our big three, that, that we look for opportunities within our church and within our life and within our own gifts and abilities to serve God. That's His purpose and His plan for us. And of that purpose is that also we might reach out to others with the wonderful message of the gospel. Listen, in fact, if you have your Bibles this morning, turn with me to, uh, to Acts chapter 17. Acts chapter 17. We often put the words on the screen, but I thought today we'd put them in our Bibles. And so if you have your Bible there, open to Acts chapter 17. If you have your phone on your Bible, you can open your phone to Acts chapter 17. That's not found in Facebook, by the way. Acts chapter 17. Acts 17, starting at verse number 26. It says this. He, that's God, He made from one man every nation of mankind, to live on the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God in the hope that they might feel their way toward Him and find Him. If you want to find one of the core passages of the Bible, and there are many, that talk about God's purpose for humanity, here it is, right here in Acts chapter 17. In Acts chapter 17, the great apostle Paul was at Mars Hill there in Athens, and he's speaking to people that are not believers, and he's relating to them that he has come to share with them the same plan, the same purpose that the Scripture talks about and that we're talking about even today. And it is that, that, that every person would find their way towards a relationship with God. Now I want you to notice a couple of things about this purpose. First of all, I want you to notice that His purpose defines the origin of man, God's purpose. It defines for us where we came from. You can, you can ask this person or that person, you can read this book and, and that history and that teacher and that lecturer and this, this uh, professor, and they might tell you four, five, ten, twelve different things that, about the origins of man, where we've come from and how we got to where we are. But in Acts chapter 17 and verse number 26, as among other places in the Bible, we see that one man is the ancestor of all of us. That one man is Adam. And that man was formed out of the elements of the earth by the very hand of God. And the breath of God breathed the breath of life into Adam. He is the ancestor of every person born. I've been doing some, some research in, in my own family. I, I've, I've done the DNA test with Ancestry.com. I don't know if any of you have done it. Who's done that? Raise your hand. Okay, we might be related. You just don't ever know. And I've asked, another, asked some other people, I said, why don't you do that? I'm just fascinated by the whole DNA thing. And they said, well, I'm afraid of what I'm going to find out. <laughs> so I've done the Ancestry thing, and I found out some fascinating things about my family. Maybe I'll share those with you at some point. But, but what I've discovered is, what I only knew from my family of a couple of generations back, I now know my family in America back to the 1700s. It's crazy. But that's just a drop in the bucket. What I knew already was not just that my family went back to the 1700s, my family goes back to Adam. <laughs> All the way back. He is the ancestor of every person born. And every different shade of person out there in the world today is related to me because we're all related to Adam. 
Our North American Mission Board of our Southern Baptist Convention has put out a resource called Undivided. And after Bible school is over in the next few weeks, I'm going to be using this resource on Wednesday nights at 7 in, in the remaining part of the summer for just a few weeks. I'd love to have you come join us on a Wednesday at 7. But that resource, Undivided, about race and getting along, says this. We, we begin to grasp that all of us, no matter our culture or ethnicity, were created by the same God in His image. We're all created by the same God. Did you get that? In the image of God. When you see a person, any person, anywhere, whether it's face-to-face -face or in a picture, whether they look just like you or could not look more different than you, are all come, have all come from the same God. It looks like for some of you that's big news. You didn't know that before. I'm glad I can, I can reveal that to you today. I also want you to notice about the purpose of God that His purpose diffuses racism. It just does away with racism altogether. Remember, racism is, is the belief that one people group, because of their ethnicity, because of their language, because of their culture, because of their education level, whatever it might be, racism is the belief that one people group is superior to other people groups. Well, God's purpose diffuses that altogether. Because each ethnic group comes from that one man, Adam, from whom we've all descended. You've heard the quote, no doubt, famously put from Martin Luther King Jr., where he said, One of the tragedies of our nation is that 11 o'clock on Sunday morning is the most segregated hour in Christian America. It shouldn't be that way. I'm thankful it's not like it used to be, but it's still not like it ought to be. In that reference, uh, that, that resource I mentioned a minute ago, Undivided, another quote from there says this, When we choose to ignore or diminish the importance of people who don't share our culture or ethnicity, we perpetuate divisiveness. Did you get that? When we choose to ignore it, when we choose to, 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 to diminish uh, the importance of people who don't look like us and act like us and talk like us, we only perpetuate divisiveness. One of my, one of my favorite pastors today is Tony Evans. He's a black pastor in the Dallas, uh, Texas area. And uh, in, in a book he's written called uh, Oneness Embraced, he says this, The reason we have not resolved the race crisis in America after hundreds of years is that people apart from God are trying to create unity while people under God who already have unity and are not living uh, in the unity that we possess. We have unity with God, but we're not living that way. Well, the third thing I'd say about the purpose of God, that is that His purpose displays His sovereignty and His rule over the nations. This purpose that He has shared that every person might find Him, that is displayed, and it is, it is displayed in, in His sovereignty and His rule. God's in charge. Listen, you know that God is in charge. And there in that passage from Acts, it says that God determined the allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling places. And what that tells us is that there are certain periods of time that God has said of all the period of human history, there are certain periods that God has dictated will behave in certain ways. And in those certain periods, certain people will, will I would say, be isolated in certain areas and certain regions. But, but that's, in, that's, for, that's in certain times. There, there, that was in, in previous periods, there were boundaries. And now it seems like the boundaries are falling apart. 
I'm not just talking about borders at countries. I'm talking about the, the boundaries that have kept us uh, from all different parts of, uh, of knowing each other. Uh, technology and air travel and boat travel and pictures and all of that has made, has made the world a much smaller place. And we now see people that look different than us and have different cultures than us. We see them far more easily than ever. For whatever reason, in God's purpose, His sovereignty and His rule, we now live in a time presently where cultures and ethnicities and people groups are mixing at a, at a greater rate than ever before in human history. And it all relates to God's purpose. But I want you to notice most of all, and most importantly about the purpose of God, His purpose demonstrates the gospel. His purpose is a demonstration of the good news. And two things here that we see in this verse... One is, there is a God defined. Aren't you thankful? There's a God out there. There is a God. Uh, the framers of our Declaration of Independence were not perfect men. They got it right when they said, we have a Creator. <laughs> the Bible makes it clear. There is a God. And there's a God defined. Notice, it says here, we seek God in the hope, they seek God in the hope that they might feel their way toward Him. So there's something about the human soul that, that, that wants to reach out and grasp for God. He's out there. And so as humans, we, we're, it's, like, it's like being in the dark in a room you've never been in and you're trying to feel for the light switch. I know it's out there somewhere and I'm, going, I'm looking for it. I'm feeling my way towards it and I'm being very cautious and very slow because I can't see. But I know it's there. And so, so here he's pointing out there is a God defined, but also notice He's not hard to find. He's not hard to... If you go into a room you've never been in before, you walk into a door, the door closes behind you, and it's pitch black, and you know there's a light switch somewhere, where do you think that light switch is? I'm going to reach over to my right. And I'm going to feel around a little bit, and 99 times out of 100, I'm going to find that switch and flip it right on. I know He's there. And listen, He's not hard to find. Let me share a couple of Bible verses with you about that. Jeremiah chapter 29 in verse 13, the Lord says, You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. You will seek me and you'll find me when you put your heart into it. We're not just walking around and say, Well, if God's there, let him drop a piano. I mean, that's not how it works. When you seek after the living, true God, you will find him. But also notice in Luke chapter 19 and verse 10 what Jesus said. He said, the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Now, let me give you a little Carolina math. I went to Carolina. I'll tell you that. I went to Carolina. Y'all know that, right? Here's a little Carolina math. A seeking soul and a seeking Savior equals salvation. That works. And I don't care what school you went to. A seeking soul encounters a seeking Savior and salvation is the result. Yeah, God is there. And He is not hard to find. Because He's looking for you. And as you're looking for Him, this great thing is going to take place called salvation. I mentioned Tony Evans a moment ago. I want to share with you another quote uh, from his book, Oneness Embraced. He says, glorifying God is our ultimate goal. Period. Can I get amen to that? Glorifying God is our ultimate goal. Oneness enables us to reach the goal. 
The church is to be a model for the world to show what God can produce through sinners saved by grace, operating under His governance in oneness. We demonstrate the power of God to transform individual lives who contribute to stronger families, which produce strong churches, leading to more stable communities, offering opportunity for a better world, and because God will be the one to do it, God will get the glory. Amen? And then he says this, Racism has kept the church from advancing as we should. And that's a shame. I'll give you a couple of words of application for you to think about. One is personal. And it's this question. What's been the dominant factor in shaping your view of race? When you think about the issue of race, what's been the dominant factor in shaping your view? Is it the era in which you were born and raised and brought up in? When people behaved a certain way around people that did not look like them? Was that the dominant factor in your view of race? Was it your family? A family that says, stay away from those people, or a family that says, let's welcome everybody the same because we're all in God's image? Was it your friends? Those that you hang out with who helped mold and shape your view of other people, other groups? Was it your politics? This party or that party or this belief or that belief? Or was it something else? Let me ask you this question. How has Scripture shaped your view of race? How has Scripture, from the past up until today, how has that shaped your view of race? Oftentimes, understanding what the Scripture actually says puts us at odds with how we were raised. And so the next question is, which is most important? How we were raised or what the Scripture says? I want to ask you today, very personally, not that you'll give me this answer, write it down in your worship folder or just write it on your heart if you want to. What is one step that you can take this week? What is one step you can take this week towards expressing God's view of race? What we read about in the Scripture. What is one step that you personally can take? Is it a, an adjustment in attitude? Is it, an, is it a conversation to have with somebody else? Is, is it an action to take towards somebody who may not look like you? Is, is there an apology that needs to be offered? Is there, a, is there a, a, a resolution that going forward things will be a little bit different? Is there simply an affirmation that you have a scriptural view and you seek to live it out? But is there one step within your life and within my life that you and I can take even this coming week that reflects the scriptural view of race, God's view. I also want you a couple of words for us as a church. One is this. All people matter to God. All people matter to God. I'm so thankful that tomorrow morning when I look out here to all these boys and girls, when, when Al's going crazy uh, leading the music, and have I mentioned how crazy Al goes in leading that, that Bible school music? When we look out tomorrow at those boys and girls, we're going to see all different shades of boys and girls from our community. And that's going to be so beautiful. But let me say this. We live in an increasingly multi-ethnic, multicultural community. Yes, the world is that way. Have you noticed northern Durham, North Carolina lately? We live in a quickly changing multi-ethnic, multicultural community. And Scripture 
should always be our authority as we deal with people in our community and everywhere because they're created in God's image. Someone said this, shared interests like sports, education, entertainment, music often place us in multicultural environments. You go to a basketball game at Duke or Carolina or State or just where your kids play in Little League out here, you, go, you are in a multicultural environment. You go to open house at your kid's school and you're in a multicultural environment. You go to a concert, you're in a multicultural environment. Everywhere around us, uh, we're in a multicultural environment. But also, our shared faith should be the same. Our church should reflect our community. I was sitting around this week and I was, I was thinking about all the different shades that we have at Ridgecrest Baptist Church. And, and let's, 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 not be, let's not be blind. We're a predominantly white church, no doubt. But as I'm thinking about people and connections that I know about of people who are a part of Ridgecrest Baptist Church, I, I started thinking about all these people groups. We have American, we have European, we have Native American, we have Haitian, we have Jewish, we have Colombian, we have African American, we have Liberian, we have Yankee, and yes, that is a different people group. We have... <laughs> we have Bermudan. We have Redneck, we have Venezuelan, we have Bahamian, Chilean, Asian, Latvian, and I'm sure others that did not come to my mind. I am thankful that when I look out at this congregation and again at our 1045 service, that though while we are predominantly white, we are changing to reflect our community. I just wish we would do so more and we would do so quicker. Can I get an amen to that? I want to ask you to send me an email. That's dangerous. Email address on the front of your bulletin. Send me an email outlining one step Ridgecrest Baptist Church can take to better express God's view of race. Is there something practical? Is there something that we're missing? Is there something that we're blind to? You have a thought. You have an idea. Pray about it. Jot it down. Send me an email. I'll be very curious to see what you have to say. In the moments we have left, I want to invite you right where you are. Would you just bow your head and close your eyes? I want us to spend a few moments in some directed prayer. And Shirley's going to start playing softly on the organ, and as she does, I just want to, 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 to lead you to express in prayer some key thoughts. Would you pray and ask the Lord to help us to see that all people are created in His image? That may need to be a very personal prayer for you. And I understand that. And if that's your conviction, then praise the Lord for that conviction. But would you ask the Lord to help us, to help us individually, as a congregation, as a people, to see that all people are created in the image of God. And would you pray that God would help us to see that all people matter to Him. Regardless of how far from God they're walking, when we see people, they are matter to God. Help ask Him to help us to see that.
And would you ask God this morning to help us to see that all people are loved by God. The greatest in our eyes to the smallest in our eyes. The most noble in our eyes to the most outcast in our eyes are loved by God. Would you pray for forgiveness as much as it may relate to you, to our church, to our community and our nation? Would you pray for forgiveness from the stain of racism that has kept the church from being the church that God has called us to be? Would you ask the Lord to lead us as a people, as a church? Lord, lead us in racial reconciliation and ultimately to gospel reconciliation that all people in our community would know and walk with Jesus. And could I ask you today to pray that God would lead our church to better reflect our community? That may sound scary. But Lord, would you lead Ridgecrest Baptist Church as a congregation to better reflect the community in which we live? Our Heavenly Father, this morning I thank you for these brothers and sisters in Christ that have been so faithful to listen and so faithful to pray. And Lord, I want to thank you for the grace that cleanses us from sin and brings us to you and sets us free from so many sins and prejudices, including that of racism. And I pray, Lord, this would be more than just a Sunday morning message, but an opportunity to turn a corner, to turn a page to take a step forward to be the people you've called us to be for the glory of Jesus because it's all about the glory of God that we pray in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen.